Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. And hello, hello, friends. Welcome to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. I'm Ra, and today I am joined with Danica Roam. If you don't know Danica, it's about time you do. Danica unseated Virginia's most notoriously anti-LGBTQ lawmaker, who was a 26-year incumbent, and became the nation's first out-and-seated transgender state legislator. She's a former reporter, heavy metal frontwoman, and now an author of her recently released memoir titled Burn the Page, a true story of torching doubts, blazing trails, and igniting change. Thank you so much for being here today, Danica. Thank you, Rob. It's so nice to see you. Yeah, it's... uh. Yeah, it's so exciting. Um, So first things first, when we have people come onto our podcast, we like to ask one big question. What does it mean or what does feminism mean to you? Feminism is active pursuit of equality and active pursuit of justice. It is active pursuit of addressing inequities in life. And to me, I didn't use the term feminist with the IST for a long time because as a reporter, I was a newspaper reporter for 10 and a half years. My job was to be a neutral, dispassionate third-party observer. And so even though in my private life, my life away from reporting, I would absolutely talk about the same themes of feminism because I wasn't in active pursuit of them. I didn't describe the, the word and for different people use feminism, but they'll try to, you know, kind of dismiss the term. They'll even call it a legacy, anything else. Not to me, not to me, not at all. And in fact, if you, if I need to uh, demonstrate my uh, feminism uh, and feminist credentials, I quite literally have the equal rights amendment text tattooed on my arm. <laughs> <laughs> and I got that done the day before I got to vote to make Virginia the 38th state to uh, vote in favor of ratification for putting it in the U.S. Constitution. So now the federal government needs to do its job and actually get it in there. I love that. And I love that it's just tattooed and sealed on you. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of, this is kind of awkward, but like, are you heavily tattooed? I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that was actually my first tattoo, um, which oh. is so funny because like, there was a story um, in 2017 where I was being described accurately as like, hey, she's transgender, she's metalhead, she's this and this. And then she put, uh, the reporter put, uh, she's heavily tattooed. I was like, that's the one thing I was not. <laughs> now, Leo, when you have uh, a tattoo that's long enough to say equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex, you could argue heavily at that point, but that's really just for like one part of my bicep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not like you're completely covered. And, you know, it's just like I had for some reason, like an image in my head. And I'm like, I wonder how tattooed Danica might be or might not be. You never know. <laughs> oh, scarred is completely different. And th- th- those are mainly internal. But uh, yeah, like with a few external ones as well. Uh, but that's because I have two cats. Yeah. You know, those are just like <laughs> life scars, right? <laughs> So why this book? Why now? What made you really push you to do it? Sure. So I want to encourage people to set fire to the stories they don't want to be in anymore and to capture and set their own narratives instead of having other people tell their stories for them. You know, when I launched my first campaign in 2017, 
I was unemployed, uninsured, driving a 92 Dodge Shadow. You know, it was worth $324. Its color, as I mentioned in the book, was primer blue, as in primer and blue. And, you know, it's my uh, little rust bucket there that I was driving right after I had, in 2016, been working for, you know, $15 an hour for 30 hours a week with no benefits as a news editor of one job. And on weekends for $5 an hour plus tip as the weekend delivery driver, just trying to make ends meet. Because when you're out as trans, it can be really hard to find find work. And now fast forward to today, I have three jobs. I'm a state delegate, which is state representative here in Virginia, elected to third term. And we've now passed 32 of my bills that have been signed into law over two and a half terms, including 10 bills to feed hungry kids, three bills that are pro-LGBTQ equality. And by the way, all of my bills passed with bipartisan support. So, you know, I'm doing that job well. And I'm also now the new executive director of Emerge Virginia, which trains Democratic women to run for office. And so, you know, as we need our resurgence in Virginia, we're going to be making sure that Democratic women and, you know, I I want to personally put an emphasis on um, Democratic LGBTQ women step up and run. And by by the way, for all of our non-binary folks and other amazing allies who we have, that's why the Victory Institute also exists. Their LGBTQ a training uh, program that I went through in 2016 is open to our whole community. So, you know, please, by all means, if you are, you know, anywhere, uh, if you don't identify as a democratic woman, but you are still very much part of our rainbow community, uh, the Victory Institute has a training for you as well. <laughs> and job number three is I am now book author, and which means that I get to talk to amazing people like Rob for, you know, like part of my living now. <laughs> okay, awesome. Um, I'm, I'm very curious about the the um, Emerge Democratic Women Training, um, just because, you know, so reading this book, I know nothing about politics. I stayed away for it for a very long time. I was very much a ignorance is bliss sort of person. But lately, I've been dipping my toe in. And I was very excited to find out, like reading your book, it was easy to understand the politics. And then I felt the excitement from it. Like, I felt like I was almost there. <laughs> One thing I always tell LGBTQ people in particular is you have to care about politics because whether or not you do, politics cares about you. The fact that there are more than 200 bills state nationwide right now and just throughout all these different state legislatures that are attacking LGBTQ young people, that fact that that exists, that's a product of not enough people being engaged and not enough people seeing discrimination as a disqualifier. Whereas in my race in 2017, as I talked about in the book, it not only very much was, but we also provided a contrast as well in terms of, you know, my predecessor was the self-described chief homophobe of Virginia who had, you know, introduced four anti-LGBTQ bills just the year before, you know, that actually that year in 2017 and two more the prior year. Whereas, you know, the, you know, what I was putting forward in reply was like, hey, what if we actually dealt with specific things that we can work on to actually take care of the most number of people together, like fixing Route 28 with innovative intersection designs, which we're doing right now, like raising teacher pay, expanding Medicaid, which my predecessor voted against. Well, I voted for it. And because of my vote on April or on May 30th, uh, 2018, we've now enrolled more than 650,000 Virginians in quality affordable health insurance that is so important in a worldwide pandemic because we now have more than half a million people here who have not been left uninsured during a pandemic. 
I was uninsured for two and a half years before I ran for office or before I was sworn in, I should say, uh, from you know August 2015 until February 1st, 2018. And I was sworn in January 10th, 2018. So for three weeks that I was in office, I was still uninsured. I've lived that life. And I think an important part of feminism in general in that pursuit of equality, of equity, of justice is making sure that we understand that even when we are at a position where we are starting to do better or we are doing well, that society only succeeds when all of us not only have that opportunity, but the people who got to the front of the line are saying, hey, join me. And what do I have to do to help? Like we're all in this together. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, you're very, yeah, you're very right. I think it's so hard to want to be a part of something that you feel like doesn't want you in a way. Like, that's why it's so easy to just push it aside and just say, this isn't my problem, even though like all these decisions that people are making are affecting us, like as a community. Yeah, I just, I felt the excitement that was coming at the end of it. And it was, I don't know, I felt like my heart was racing as I was reading about like how you won. And especially the moment of um, the Westboro church being like protesting you outside of the state capitol, like that image that I had in my head of the Lamb of God vocalist or uh, front person of what the Vuvuzela, like I was dead. I like was crying, (laughs) laughing, trying to imagine it. And I just want to know what was that like? Like what I hope people do when they get to the chapter in which uh, my buddy Randy Blythe, who's the vocalist of Lamb of God, heavy metal band out of Richmond, who's you know now an international touring band. Um, if you get to that chapter where you get to see what happens when 200 metalheads and queer people and other folks uh, blow kazoos at the Westboro Baptist Church for half an hour uh, amid other people also playing paint bucket drums and Randy in a Feather Boa, the cowboy hat, and Vuvuzela leading the charge along with it. Um, it I hope that when you read that, you then immediately Google your, or just your search engine of choice. Start looking up the stories that came from that day in 2019 because they are hilarious. And for your own sense of pure joy, just type in the phrase metalheads with kazoos uh, drown out Westboro Baptist Church. <laughs> it is, oh, oh my, one of my favorite headlights of my entire life. And actually, this is completely true. One of the most viewed stories in Virginia Mercury's history is the uh, Metalheads with Kazoos. <laughs> I I need to look this up um, because I think like just my imagination isn't good enough. I need to see it <laughs> happen. Um, So even though your uh, listeners aren't going to get to see this, I'm going to drop this in our chat, the the link for this. uh, uh, Metalheads with Kazoos, Drown Out Westboro Baptist Church at Capitol. Um, I hope that uh, everyone who's listening to this just takes a moment. Enjoy the photography on there. It's amazing, the people who were there. It just like, and here's the thing, the ultimate irony with all this, right? So it's 2019. That was a short session a year because in Virginia, the Virginia General Assembly has 60-day sessions during even years and 45, 46-day sessions during odd years. And this was like March 11th, 2019. They were, we were out of session by this point. And so the Webster, Westboro Baptist Church 
in their infinite wisdom, of course, decides to stop by Richmond when I'm not even there, when session isn't even happening to protest my existence as a trans woman there. And so one thing led to another and uh, yeah, Randy uh, saved the day. Well, and you know what? I was doing that same day. I was back home in Manassas putting my final petition signatures together, driving up to Gainesville and turning them in so I could qualify for the ballot. Because you know what really pisses them off at the Westboro Baptist Church when they're trying to, you know, protest your existence as a trans woman in the state legislature? Staying in the state legislature by earning re-election. They really don't like that. And you know what I also did when they were in the run-up to that protest? We raised $36,046 from 1,009 donations across the country from all 50 states, plus D.C. and Puerto Rico, which, by the way, side note, should be states number 51 and 52, just for what it's worth. And we did that, and I was so blatant about what I wanted to do. I was like, I'm going to take their message of hate, and I'm going to flip the script on it so that we can win our re-election campaign. And that's exactly what we did. And in fact, this is completely true as well. Of the 36,046 salaries that we raised, uh, that covered the entire first week of TV ads that we ran that fall. Ah, so, yes. Yeah, I'll never thank them for their bigotry, but I will very much thank all the people who responded to that message of hate with a very inclusive message themselves, which is, we're not gonna let that win. And in the modern day today, when we're seeing Republican politicians who are putting in these anti-LGBTQ bills, they're aligning themselves ideologically with the Westboro Baptist Church when it comes to LGBTQ issues. There's no difference in ideology between the two. What, just because one protests military funerals, that's the cutoff? So what I would suggest to you here is that it is still very possible to win elections with a message of inclusivity, with a message of equality and all the rest. And as we do that, just make sure that we are also taking care of those core quality of life issues, traffic, jobs, schools, healthcare, the environment, it all matters. Yeah, traffic, uh, traffic's very important. <laughs> That's right, and that's right. Getting a correct infrastructure fixed and corrected is very important. It makes all of our lives easier. So like, I appreciate that Route 28 was your, like, is it Route 28? Am I yes, right? Yes, okay. Um, um, it was like one of your big political points and saying like, hey, I want to fix it's, this. It's now <laughs> under construction, just saying. That's amazing. Congratulations on that. Thank you. I loved the fact that you said flip the script because I feel like a lot of what you do has been flipping the script, burning the page. And I just want to know, like, what does that exactly mean to you? Like just flipping the script and making it work for you. And how does someone do that? So I want to to broaden this out beyond politics because yeah, I'm in office. Yeah, I ran and everything, but most people aren't. And so for flipping the script, imagine if you find someone telling stories about you that are wrong, factually inaccurate, they have malicious intent, or maybe they have very good intent, and it's just not coming out well. To me, the importance of owning your narrative, of setting those fires to stories you don't want to be in anymore, which we talk about so much in this book, what I really want to stress to everyone here is find the positive, find a way to make those bad things in life actually end up working for you. 
because you can always find a way to turn things around. And, you know, I'm uh, reminded of the great Taoist philosopher, Winnie the Pooh, (laughs) who uh, said in a book, uh, or basically to paraphrase, you know, that nothing is inherently positive or negative. It's the inform- It's what you do with that information that determines whether it's positive or negative. Now, you can obviously say, like, look, when you have mass human suffering, it, you know, that is clearly negative, right? At the same time, we can acknowledge that is true. And we can say, well, then maybe I'm going to be engaged to end some of that or to prevent that or to put a balm on it and to make it easier for people. And you can do something positive with that information yourself. I love that. So as you were writing this book, what was your process like since this was your first time writing a book? You know, so it's funny is uh, I wrote a, uh, my capstone in college, which I turned into a book was my grandfather's biography, actually, um, oh. which I do write about in the book, as a matter of fact, because I gave it to him for his 90th birthday. And mm-hmm. I walked down the stairs one day and, you know, he was sitting in his chair and, you know, he was just holding it in his lap. And I walk over without saying a word, he just extends his hand over and I grab his hand and just sit there in silence with him. And that was the day I realized that the book had sunk in with him, right? But this time around the process, you know, so first my agent, Anna Sproul-Latimer from Neon Literary, amazing. She's so funny and she's uh, close to my age, so personal. She reached out to me right after the 2017 election and she sat down with me over at a Silver Diner and just was like, hey, you know, I want to, I think you, you have a really good story. And the funny thing on that is during the 2017 campaign, I was asked in an interview with Cosmopolitan you know, how are you going to make money when you're in the state legislature? Because, you know, legislators only get paid $17,640 as your salary. And they go, well, I'm pretty sure the first out uh, trans state legislator is, uh, you know, defeating, you know, self-described chief homophobe. Yeah, there's probably going to be interest in a book deal. And so there is a uh, attack ad that came out against me that said, like, Janet Garum wants a book deal. And uh, when you get to the epilogue chapter of this book, uh, I very much quote, Data Grove wants a book deal as the title of that chapter. Well, it's the subhead of the chapter that uh, I I even cite the mailer that, that it came out in. And so I was just like, yeah, I wanted to put that on the jacket. I thought that would have been amazing, but we settled on the epilogue. That's just fine. But um, the process for that, you know, so once Anna and I decided that we wanted to do this, you know, we worked on the proposal together um, and that took a long time, you know, and I wanted, I didn't want to pitch the proposal to a bunch of publishers until after I won my re-election campaign in 2019. I wanted to prove to the world this was not a fluke. I didn't just accidentally unseat a 26-year you know, incumbent because, oh, it happened to be a good national environment. Okay, great. I wanted to show, like, no, I have staying power. I'm, I'm in this for real. And I won my re-election by 12 points after winning my first election by eight points. And, you know, I think what ended up happening with that was I had a very credible pitch to make to a lot of, you know, very big name publishers and stuff. And then um, Viking was amazing and so cool to work with. And um, so beyond grateful to Emily, um, a wonder like over at Viking because you know, she was just so amazing during the entire writing process of this from basically uh, the onset of the pandemic from there, you know, I happened to get the book deal right before we got into session um, in 2020. And I just spent, you know, when I wasn't doing my 12 and 14 hour days all throughout the pandemic, which was constant because the constituent service workload we had was so much, uh, you know, I was writing the book. And, you know, now, now that it's out, I also recorded the audio book too. Um, and so you get to very much hear all my Italian lady inflections and everything and 
very dripping in sarcasm that comes with it too. So if you like to laugh a lot with it and at the same time, you like to reflect and, you know, trying to figure out, Hey, how do I make these scars that I have, you know, actually end up working for me when it's hard. Um, I think this is a good book for you. And, you know, I love quoting um, an in-between track on the band Life of Agony's album, uh, The Sound of Scars. And Life of Agony actually has a trans front woman, but that's completely coincidental to this. The in-between track is about a guy who, on the band's first album on River Roads Red back in the 90s, this teenage, as a teenager, he has just gone through terrible things, one after the next after the next, abusive household, girlfriend leaves him, his job fires him, he's getting, you know, uh, he's failing school, everything's going horrible, and he slits his wrist at the end. Well, the this album posited what would happen if he survived, right? And so the medics, you know, arrive, they take him out, and now he's grown up. It's 25 years later, and he's, you know, in therapy, still dealing with his trauma from his youth. And his therapist at one point tells him, let that scar on your wrist remind you of where you've been, not where you're going. You're a survivor. You've been through it. You're on the other side now. All these feel, everything that you're feeling, absolutely valid. At the same time, it's up to you to say, today, I will hurt no more. That's a very big theme of this book is embracing those scars and those tragedies. And if you ever know what it's like to go through trauma, what it's like to go through loss, and I very much describe mine in a lot of detail, and you know the importance of resilience, of perseverance, of not just letting that trauma weigh you down every day, but figuring out how you live with it, how to work with it, how you can use it to inform your worldview so that you're more empathetic toward other people who you might not even know but you know, they're humans, they've lived, which means that they've probably had sorrow and suffering in their lives as well. And I think if you put all that together, you're going to find a lot of this book is so relatable to you. And I really hope you enjoy it. And I hope you get a lot of good laughs too. You know, you don't get too many uh, transgender metalhead reporters, stepmom, Yogini vegetarians, writing a lot of cuss words in their political memoir. <laughs> <laughs> And it was so delightful. I'm going to say this book came into my life at the right time. Um, and it definitely inspired me into burning the page and rewriting my own story. Hence why I'm raw. <laughs> yeah, it's so, raw. <laughs> um, so we're, we're starting to run short on time, but uh, is there anything else that you want your readers to know or how can we find you? Is there anyone that you want to shout out? Yeah, sure. So uh, in order to find me uh, on Twitter, I'm at PWC Danica. So that's PWC D-A-N-I-C-A. On Facebook, you can find me uh, Danica Rome dash Virginia delegate. And, um, you know, always feel free to drop me a line too, just through good old fashioned email. I'm uh, Danica at Danica for delegate.com. Uh, that's all spelled out. And yeah, aside from that, just uh, for people to shout out, uh, along with Emily and Anna, uh, Lindsay Bubar, who was kind of my taskmaster, uh, making sure I was making my deadline. She was huge on this book as well. And the last people most important to me, I want to shout out are the people of Haymarket, Gainesville, Manassas, Manassas Park, who've allowed this life to happen for me. And, you know, uh, I'll have another announcement on May 9th about my next political move. Uh, so stay tuned, but just know that those people in Manassas, Manassas Park, Gainesville, and Haymarket will very much still be a part of that. Very, very much so. Oh, yeah, I was actually curious on what was next, but I totally forgot to ask. But uh, <laughs> I will stay tuned until May 9th. And all of everything that you just said, the metalhead with the kazoo's article that you sent, I'm going to 
put that all in the description so everyone can find everything so easily and be able to find your book a little bit easier as well. And thank you again, Danica. And thanks for listening, folks. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, red woman is a dangerous creature, creature.